This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Intelligent men preach at the word and around the word, but they do not touch the inner meaning of the word. So, in other words, it is really possible to uh, uh, preach, <laughs> uh, instruct people, but doing it in a way that it's always around the word, at, but not the inner meaning. Well, but even before we get to, you know, like uh, the function of the word, uh, we ought to, what Ellen White is saying here is that they do not present the truth, notice, in its genuine simplicity, right? So that's the idea, genuine simplicity. This is, uh, and then many ministers make no effort to explain revelation, she says. Huh? Uh, they call it an unprofitable book to study. They regard it, etc., etc. Uh, but it is an open book, even though it is a sealed book. Then, uh, she says, the teachings of this book are definite, not mystical or unintelligible. Right? So, actually, I'm going to... Yes, this one. Okay. Huh? Oh, sorry. Um, she's okay. Let me go back here. Sorry. Okay. When the book of Daniel and Revelation are better understood, she says, believers will have an entirely different religious experience. Okay. Maybe one more thing here. A better understanding of Daniel and Revelation will lead to a better spiritual life. And then she says, Satan has blinded the minds of many so that they have been glad of any excuse not to make the revelation their study. Okay? Now, something here, let me just move on. You know, I think I will be more comfortable using this. I don't know if this is work. Just give me a second. All right. Now, what is the book of Revelation all about? Okay. It is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. But if someone meets me in the street and asks me, what is this book all about? I have a very simple answer. My answer is, this book was revealed to prepare the church and the world for the second coming. Now, think about this, and, and I'm going to take just 10 minutes briefly to get you acquainted with the world of this book. Okay? Remember, this book is very simple, actually, to approach, because you have... An introduction and a conclusion. Between the introduction and, a, uh, and the conclusion, you basically have four series of seven. Okay? So, introduction, conclusion, right? And four series of seven. Seven letters to the seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, and finally, seven plagues, the last one. Okay? So that is very simple. However, 
Think about it. You have 22 chapters. The first part of the first prophecy of the book, chapter 1. So uh, let me try to visualize this. Let's say this is the introduction, chapter 1. The first prophecy of the book is about the second coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds of heaven. First prophecy. Last promise, chapter 22, is also about the second coming. Because it is, this time it doesn't say, behold, he is coming. This time uh, Jesus says, surely I am coming quickly. Right? So first prophecy is second coming. Last promise of the book, second coming. Last prayer of the book, also second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay? So you can see clearly that the beginning talks about the second coming. The end talks about the second coming. And if you come at the center of the book, the heart of the book, chapter 12 to 14, the great controversy between good and evil, basically, God and Satan, is uh, climaxes, ends in chapter 14 with the second coming, Christ coming with the clouds of heaven. Right? And then if you look carefully uh, in the letters to the seven churches, several times Jesus say, hold on to what you have until I come. So the second coming is mentioned several times. Also, if you go to the other uh, side of the book, you know, the end or the section, uh, chapter 19 is also about the second coming. Hmm? So I can really say that the second coming is all over the book of Revelation as what God is preparing and the church and the world for the second coming. But before the second coming, there are, there are things happening in the world. And the seals in particular, that is where I'm going to focus today, the seals are really about what is happening in the world prior to the second coming of Christ. Okay? Now, I would like to just say the following. The main mandate, therefore, Jesus gave his end-time followers, as recorded in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is to prepare the church and the world for the second coming. As a matter of fact, everything else is, second, is secondary. Now, then, our world today hmm, is in turmoil, entangled in multifaceted crises. Actually, in many regions, one can speak of disintegration even. I mean, surely that is the case of uh, Syria, right? Aleppo, what is happening, etc., etc. All domains are affected. Politics, economics, ethics, religion, international affairs, human rights, civil rights, security, health, and one could easily prolong the list, of course. Now, then that means that we are living at a critical time in world history. So what is needed is a reliable compass and an accurate reading of reality. This has become necessary more than ever before. When you really think about it, even what is happening, you know, like uh, uh, I remember about a um, few uh, well, it was last year, you know, when the Supreme Court, uh, you know, voted uh, the same-sex marriage and so forth. Someone came and told me, but hey, uh, Dr. Diop, uh, how about this? What is, you know, this is terrible. I say, well, maybe we are living under the assumption that there is such a thing as a holy nation or a Christian nation. It doesn't exist. Now I know this, <laughs> this may be challenging to many people, but the, what is called a Christian nation is really the kingdom of God. Right? So nations, they pass, and when you look at history, no nation has succeeded to really be, bring a regime or reign of righteousness. Never. Starting from the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and then you continue throughout history. No, this is why they pass one after the other. 
So I am not surprised that any nation in our world today would do things or enact laws and you name it that are not in accordance with God's kingdom. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, that is the state of our world. Actually, we, what we need today is God's view. This is very important. His assessment regarding, regarding the state of our world. Not just human intelligence assessment. You know, we have so many books, so many opinions about what is happening here and there, etc., etc. So it's really important to start thinking, but what is God thinking about all this? And where we find God's thoughts about our world is really in the Bible. So God alone has a sufficient global vision, uh, an accurate understanding of where we are, of reality, on our life journey to tell us what is really going on and why. Right? So, that means then, the way the Bible informs us about the state of our world is significant. And this is where the book of Revelation, now remember, all I said so far was, to, was that the book of Revelation is the book that is telling us about the preparation of the world and of the church, of course, for the sec before the second coming of Christ. Everything that is written there is to uh, basically give us awareness and allow us to prepare ourselves for the second coming of Jesus. But this is good news. It's because the, the world is in a bad shape, right? No justice, no peace, no freedom ultimately, that Christ is coming to bring justice, peace, right? So, so this is extremely important. This is why we are people of hope. Even if we see terrible things happening in our world, we are not despairing. Why? Because we have the promise of God that he will come to, to make it right. He will come to fix it. See? Now, so then, the book of Revelation uses, of course, a symbolic language, but nonetheless real to portray a dramatic reality. So I'm just going to take you to the seals of the book of Revelation, right? In particular, the second, third, fourth, etc. That describes, now listen to this now, the evils that seem to punctuate the events of our world today. Evil. And when I say evil, think about this. Wars. Famine. And by the way, these are the seals. The first seal open, you know, wars. And then famine. And then disease, pestilence, and death. Right? Persecution and martyrdom of Christians. This is the fifth seal. Like when uh, symbolically, people under the, uh, under the altar are asking God, how long will you delay to judge and avenge? Because they were murdered, basically. This is what you see as Christians persecuted around the world. So, now, this is really important and maybe... Um, and of course, the so-called natural disasters and earthquakes and so forth around the world. But before I go further, I need us to be clear about something. You see, when people uh, hear or see that, okay, uh, our world is in turmoil, uh, you have some disasters, tsunami here and so forth, they think, oh, these are the seeds, God is sending these. No. Let's not put God as if he's responsible of the evils of our world. And by the way, this is very easy. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. You know, sometimes I spend about a week or two with pastors to break all these things down to, you know, make sure that we are clear about how to interpret this. For example, you know, we have to be consistent. The, the seal talks about war, famine, pestilence, and so forth, so on. But in the mix... We have also the martyrdom of Christians. Who would imagine that God is the one inspiring the murderers of Christians? No. Right? Am I being clear here? God is not inspiring these demonic people, unfortunately, who are, you know, killing Christians. Absolutely not. 
God is not inspiring ISIS. Yes, let me say that again, you know. These people are killing Christians all over the world, right? Is God inspiring them? No. So the same thing, it's not God that is behind the tsunami. Trying to, this is the evils of our world. Now, remember, uh, interestingly, whenever there is a critical time in the Bible, the word that is used to describe that critical time is the word evil. Let's not, uh, the other day someone came and told me, oh, you know, wow, the world is going to be terrible. You know, look at this. And, you know, and then I just say, you know what? When Jesus came, it was terrible. It was under Roman occupation. And these people were brutal, crucifying people, etc., etc., etc. But Christians were more uh, concerned about sharing the good news and the gospel rather than having fear, right, about uh, what could happen to them. And the same thing for us today. Regardless of the state of the world, whether politically, economically, or whatever, Christians, Seventh-day Adventists, we are called to share the good news, preparing the world for the second coming of Christ. Because that is our hope. Because only when Christ comes will this world be set right. Not before. Issues are too big for human beings to solve. You know, just think about it. You know, I've been representing the Seventh-day Adventist Church at the UN for many years. Now, these are people of goodwill. And as I was telling you, three pillars, you know, peace and security, justice and development, and then human rights. Good things. But notice, wars after the other, conflict after the other, even genocide, and you name it, problems around the world. No question, no question, Satan is everywhere in the world. Absolutely, but it doesn't matter to us. Why I say, because we don't fear, Jesus forewarned us. You will see these things. You know, earthquake, you will see these, uh, you know, tribulations. And, but he says, do not fear. Lift up your head, your deliverance approach. So in other words, we have words of hope. People live in a difficult time everywhere you go around the world. They are still, now think about it, 76% of the world population is living under some, some restrictions to their freedom. We are talking about more than three-fourths of world population. Not free to, to worship, even on, not free to worship on the Sabbath, for example, for Seventh-day Adventists. But many cannot live according to their either uh, restrictions th through government restriction or popular hostility. Right? Now, but what is of importance though here, history though has taught us and and. Uh, and let me zoom in on natural disasters just, just for a second. I mentioned this in one of my presentations earlier. So let me just remind you this because I think it is important. Natural disasters shatter not only the physical world, but also the very foundation of our confidence in our knowledge, the meaning of life, the order of the cosmos, and the stability of human existence itself. When there is a tragedy somewhere, people start wondering, wow, is there really meaning to life at all? Why is tragedy striking? And I remember mentioning to you the, 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 the uh, Lisbon earthquake. Huh? The, in in uh, November 1st, 1755, you know what happened? Unusual coalition of destruction, earth, fire, and water devastating tidal waves, that is, turned into a squad of death in Lisbon. After that time, philosophers, intellectuals start writing, and I mentioned Immanuel Kant, writing three treaties, because this was, I mean, traumatic, catastrophic. And then, you, uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, okay. Then you, you have the right to cough, you know, so no problem. <laughs> We're free here, right? Okay. Now, 
Think, uh, think about it. And then, what happened then? Prior to the earthquake, the world and human existence seemed to be divinely ordered stability. Uh, Isaac Newton, Leibniz, and others were at the forefront of an optimistic view of life. And all of a sudden, tragedy. And as I was telling you, earthquake, fire, and then the, the tsunami water. You know? Now, but then after the earthquake, everything changed. David Hume, Voltaire, and so forth started questioning the meaning of existence. Actually, these people started saying uh, chaos subtend reality. No meaning. Yes, the French Revolution was, uh, yes, but uh, the French Re Revolution is really another track that exacerbated. This was, uh, this was a kind of um, resistance towards monarchy uh, and so forth, and they wanted to, uh, <laughs> they wanted to, uh, to establish, you know, like uh, democracy and so forth. But notice, they say uh, liberty, equality, you know, and fraternity, right? But right after the revolution, again, it turned into massacre, the reign of terror. Again, these, you know, really human beings uh, tended to, to always uh, expand on the evils, not just of nature, but of human beings themselves. Now, let me mention just briefly, in the 19th century, Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, Kierkegaard, Camus, and others started questioning the order of human existence. This world doesn't make sense. Too much tragedy, too much catastrophes, too much death, or too many deaths rather. And by the way, this can be even seen like these too many deaths. Uh, uh, I mentioned, you know, David Hume say the concept of all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God is inconsistent with the existence of suffering. And not just suffering, uh, let me just, uh, natural disaster is one problem, but there is something else. Think about the record, and I mentioned this the other day, human beings killing one another doesn't make sense. And that's our world today, by the way. I just got back from a part of the world where terrorists are very active, killing thousands of people, right? But you, uh, okay, but think about this, 16, uh, 16 million deaths during World War I. It's like human life is not sacred. And then 60 million deaths during World War II. And one can mention the various genocides and so forth. I'm talking about our world. Think about the seals. When they are open, what do we see? Wars, famine, you know, killing, and you name it. That is the state of our world. And human beings are so brainwashed like this that we even celebrate violence. Where are the historical sites? Battlefields. We celebrate Independence Day. Independence from what? How did we get to that? You see what I'm saying? You, our, we live in a violent world. Now, something else here. Slavery from West and from the Arab Muslims. Also, the Holocaust. Six million Jews. Civil wars and proxy wars. Cold wars and proxy wars. And people are afraid right now that the Cold War is going to start again. Right? So, but this is the state of our world. When you think about violence, by the way, in America, because usually we give statistics that seems too remote, but in America, every 12 seconds, a woman is beaten. Half of the women beaten are pregnant. Okay? Every eight minutes, a woman is raped. Every six hours, a woman is murdered. Domestic violence is number one cause of hospital emergency room visits. Here. Just to tell you how humans are addicted to violence and death. Causing suffering to... God has nothing to do with this. Nothing. You know, God ought to be vindicated. And I think this is, the, this is something that we Christians, we tell people, you know what, 
uh, this is human history. God has nothing to do with kind of... And by the way, if this is true for women, for men also, yes, you know, but I just single out one. So, and uh, what one could add in many countries, inhumane treatment of prisoners and the sight of children, soldiers. This is chaotic, yes. God has something to do with this? No. <laughs> well, but what does it mean he allows it? I mean, I, under I understand, but we can say he, he allows evil, but does it make him complice to evil? Absolutely not. See. Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, we can say that. But I'm always careful, though, whenever, whenever people start saying, oh, God allows it, let's make sure that it doesn't make God into accomplice to that. Once that is clear, then we can see, well, yes, a God can work through our evils, <laughs> our tragedies, the dark side of human history, and fulfill his purposes ultimately. You know? And that is why, by the way, he uses people like you and me, right? people of goodwill, who have opened our heart to Christ, so that God may turn the tide of the evil. right? Uh, and, and this is, by the way, what the Bible says, overcoming evil with good. Precisely, and that's the heart of Christianity. I'm not going to uh, go back to read Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 12. So yes, injustices seems to structure reality. That's our world. But this is the world though, that God loves and wants to redeem. But that's the reality everywhere. And this is why, I mean, when we look at humanity, we tend to despair. But when we look at what God is going to do, we say there's hope. And that is why Adventists are people of hope, precisely. Now think about it. Uh, now let me just... Um, I mentioned this just briefly. Where, where, wherever you look into reality, right, there are problems. Poverty. Uh, inequality. Now, you see, <laughs> think about this. This, is, this shows that only God can solve this problem. 1% monopolizes 46% of, uh, of world resources. 10% possesses 80% of the wealth of the world. So that means that 40%, and mainly, by the way, the middle class, owns the remaining 14. Concretely, it means that 50% of the world population have nothing. How do you want to have peace under, under these circumstances? Can human beings fix it? No. Will God fix it? Yes. He promised. Right? It, uh, this is why Jesus was saying, well, poor you will always have. Because he knows that the system, human system, is unjust. Are unjust, all of them. Think about it. Now, it doesn't mean that we trample, you know, or that, no, no, no. Actually, Seventh-day Adventists are heavily involved in society to make a difference. To make, a world, to make the world a better place for many people. That's why I have health, humanitarian, uh, human rights, uh, education, right? Women ministries, children ministries, youth ministries, and uh, special needs ministries, and so forth, so on. Right? So we believe that we ought to be involved to make this world a better place. But our hope, though, is ultimately for God to come and fix it. Because human beings will not be able to do it on their own. So now, this is the reason why in a most profound way, Jesus has taught us, think about it, deliver us from what? Evil. Because that's the problem. Evil. You know, it's not just one problem and we, you know, it, uh, <laughs> uh, it's like now entertainment. You know, there's always something that uh, keeps us busy. Focus on that and, and then next thing, you know. But there is a systemic evil within this world. But we Adventists are not people of doom. And, and, and I understand sometimes some people focus on so much, oh, prophecy says this and so forth and so on, and we forget that, hey, 
Yes, prophecy says this, but we are agents of good news. Even three angels' messages is called everlasting gospel. Everlasting good news. Now, if you think about, so it's not by chance that Jesus asked us to, I mean, taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. Evil of what? Injustices. That's our world. Evils of wars. Delivers from evils of disease. God doesn't want this, by the way. Let me repeat that. Evils of what? Death. That's why Christianity is victory of Christ who definitely overcame death. And that's why we now can afford not to fear. Yeah? Now, interestingly, since our sister was asking me to say a little bit about my story, but think about it. Let me illustrate this. It was as if I was at the junction. On the one hand, there are a lot of people who are, who, who are asking me, hey, follow our prophet, or follow our guru, or our spiritual leader. And you look, you see David, Guru Nanak, Prophet Muhammad, and you know, all these spiritual leaders that people are telling me to follow, right? On the left. But there's something though that they all have in common. You know what is that? They are all dead. You turn on your right, you have Jesus who conquered death. And he says, I am alive forevermore. I'm the resurrection and the life. Follow me. Question. And I don't want to offend your intelligence. Who would you follow? Dead people or the one who is alive? That's the fundamental difference. So Christianity is fundamentally an invitation to life. And that is, by the way, victory over death. That is why Jesus could tell people, you are my witnesses. Think, of, think about all these leaders. You have to believe in the immortality of the soul that they are somewhere in order to follow them. But if they need help themselves to be resurrected, then you know you have to find help somewhere else. Just logical. Now, also, deliver us from persecutions and murder. That is the fifth seal here. Right? Deliver us from natural disasters. Remember, earthquakes, tsunamis, and all these things. Many, there's no safe place on planet Earth. Do you realize that? Nowhere. <laughs> Every section of the world has something. Now, California, everybody knows, right? But do you think... <laughs> well, but, but, but think about it. Everywhere else, the same. Our safety is only in God, ultimately. But we don't fear because of... And this is why the first, uh, my first presentation was about the freedom that we have in God. No fear now. Freedom from fear. You know? Now, okay, just briefly here. In essence, these are the last, <laughs> the last seals of the book of Revelation. They describe the state of our world. However, regardless of the state of, of our world, God's solution is clear. And what is that? Regardless of what happens or what might happen tomorrow, God's response is clear. The beasts of Daniel, the composite beasts of Revelation, and the image will not have the last word. And we can tell people who are suffering, you know, a caught in disease and even persecution, or you name it, injustices, poverty, say, you know, there is word of hope. God is going to fix it. He's going to change the situation. You know, now, this is really the only reason why I can even smile. I'm serious. I travel. I go to some places and see how humans are suffering, how human dignity is trampled, how people struggle to even have a meal. Oh, human trafficking. People have no idea. This is horrendous. I mean, terrible things happening in our world. 
if we didn't have hope of what God is going to do, I mean, you know, we might just agree with Nietzsche and Schopenhauer and all these uh, uh, existentialists who, who, you know, who would say, chaos subtend reality. Religion, forget it. It's the opium of the people. It's just to, you know, uh, live in illusion or something like that. Now, for us, there are three things, remember? Faith, hope, and love. Even though the greatest, the Apostle Paul says, is love. Now, think about it. <laughs> the Lamb is victorious. Uh, let me share something with you. You know, in the context of the seals, there is an amazing phenomenon. There are five questions that are asked. And these questions that are asked actually helps us to see what is at stake here. The first question was, who is worthy to open the book? This is like, who is capable of bringing a solution to these evils? Sorry, I was too fast behind. Who is capable to deliver us from these? And they look in heaven, uh, on earth, under the earth, and no one was found able to open the book of history, not even to look into it. And you know what happened at that moment? John started to weep, despair, because no one was found who is capable of changing this situation. Now, <laughs> we have to be realistic. Can politicians solve this? So sometimes when I hear Christians so involved, thinking that their party or their candidate or whatever is going to solve this, it is illusion. Because only God can ultimately fix this and will fix this. So no one was found. That was the first question, by the way. Who is, who is able to open the book? The second, hmm? yes, yes. The second question was, uh, uh, how long, O oh Lord, will you delay to judge? How long will we live in this state? And God says, what? Not long. Until the number uh, of, of your companion who are to be put to death be complete. So in other words, God knows that his people are persecuted and that some of them are even murdered. Yes. Short commercial for the investigative Okay. Because those people asking how long mm -hmm. given white roles. Yeah. But and to wait. And it's not yet. Yes. And they didn't get them when they died. Absolutely. They get their white robes right there. Correct. That's the investigative Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're asking God how long and so forth. So that is, yes, absolutely. Now, think about this. The, the, so that was the second question. How long? The third question is, the day of his wrath has come. That, this is in the sixth year. Who is able to stand? So who is able to stand in spite of all this? You know, Revelation is a very concrete book and helpful. This is a book of comfort, in, uh, as a matter of fact. So, who is able to stand? And then the fourth question, who are these? Those, and then the answer was, they come from the great tribulation. Who are these and where do they come from? Five questions. But what is of interest though? Here is the following. Okay? So, the, the lamb. Now, oh. Okay. Let me go here. The lamb is victorious. And that's what you were mentioning just now. Uh, okay. Yes. The lamb is victorious. It is interesting. When John, you know, after the question, who is uh, worthy, right? So they look, in heaven, nobody is found. 
On earth, nobody is found. Uh, under the earth, nobody is found. And then, and then, an angel told John, weep not. Why? Because the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. Now notice, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. But John turned, what did he see? Not a lion. What did he see? A lamb. But a lamb that is slain, as if slain, but standing. Simple. Slain, death. Standing, resurrection. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, enemies are defeated. The lamb is, is victorious. Now, there is really uh, an interesting feature in the book of Revelation that is uh, before the problems or the evils are listed, and this was, by the way, the seals, before they are listed, chapter 5, now they are listed, they are listed in chapter 6, but chapter 5 shows the Lamb, God's victory, before even spelling out the problems. So because Christ is victorious, we can really have hope. We cannot despair, regardless of what is happening in the world. He says he's worthy. He's going to open the seal. He gives meaning to our story. He gives meaning to life. He gives meaning to history itself. And this because he died and resurrected. So God sees what is happening in history. God understand the plight of humanity and especially those who are loyal to him. Even he will let some people be killed. Yes. But it is not the last word because he will fix it unquestionably. Now, think about this. Uh, before the seals, the victorious lamb is shown. Before the trumpets and the woes are listed, the high priest with the censor is revealed. So always God gives the solution in the book of Revelation before the problem is, uh, uh, is uh, mentioned. So we can say that before the great controversy, the dragon and the beast persecuted the saints, the ark of the covenant is shown. Again, as to show that whole. Focus on the most important, loyalty to God, the covenant with God. That's the most important. So basically, God is saying, I am on your side. I am with you. The evil that is in the world, I am not responsible for it. But it is here, but in spite of it, I will bring a solution. So regardless what you're going through in your life, regardless of your challenges, God is on your side. And this is, by the way, the reason why the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 could say, we know. Now, he doesn't say we think that. No, we know that all things work for the good of those who love God. Now, remember, God is not accomplice to evil. But he can take the evil and turn it into our good. Whatever Satan intends to do against us, God can reverse it. Because God is our protection. This is really key. So, before the last plagues are listed, again, the sanctuary is shown. So, again, just to give us assurance, do not despair. Have hope. And share the hope because God is going to fix it. God is going to fix it. Now, let me just say here, uh, I mentioned these questions so I can go faster now. Remember? Who is worthy? Until when? Who will be able to stand? Who are these? You know, before the throne. And finally, where do they come from? They come from the great tribulation. And uh, so these questions are, are like indicators to help us see the solution that God is going to bring, you know? Think about it. The first one, the Lamb of God, Christ. This one, justice is going to be done. 
This one, in order to stand, to be able to stand, one has to be in connection with the lamb. Notice, the lamb was what? Slain, but standing. Because he stands, now we can stand. Interestingly, when you go to Revelation chapter 14, you have the 144,000 uh, standing on Mount Zion. See? So, uh, and then who are these? Well, these are the redeemed. They are now before the throne. Where do they come from? From the great tribulation. But what is the great tribulation? The evil that is in the world. And this tribulation is going to intensify as the time goes closer to the second coming. Remember Daniel chapter 12. Eh? A time of tribulation as never before. But we don't have to fear. Because God who was able to feed Elijah, you remember? He can take care of us. Sometimes I find some Adventists, you know, oh, what, what are we going to do? Just believe in God. He's going to take care of you. Yeah? <laughs> uh, not, not, not too long ago, uh, um, I met, you know, like a personality in the Christian world. And then some Adventists was, you know, were uh, telling, oh, why did you do that? Don't you understand that the Pope is going to uh, persecute? I say, that's not my problem. It's not my problem. What is going to happen in the future? I say, I fear no one. I want to preach, share the gospel with every person on planet Earth. Regardless. You know, Christian, we are free. Actually, I don't have enemies. I may, you know, people may consider me as their enemies, but me, there's no place for hatred in my heart. For anyone, that's Christianity, right? Love even your, what? Enemies. No excuse. No place for hatred in, in the heart of Christians. Because, by the way, hatred is part of the evil of the world. Wickedness is part of accus you know, accusation of people, trampling of their dignity, violence, because that is verbal violence sometimes. And this is why we ought to be careful to respect everyone, even if we disagree with them, even if we differ. I'm serious, you know. Sometimes I meet people from all over the world, all kinds of religions. I disagree with their beliefs. But I ought to respect them as people created in the image of God. Why? Because I'm free in Christ. I don't fear anyone. By the way, that's a commandment from God. Don't fear humans. They can only kill what? The body. See? This is freedom, my friends. When you think about this, so then uh, uh, no one was found in heaven, on earth, under the earth, being able John weeps. I mentioned this so I can go fast now. So, competence of Jesus. Central figure. He is the lion, but what John sees is a lamb as if slain. Seven horns and seven eyes. He's powerful and omniscient. He can see everything. So, Christ is our sufficiency. And by the way, this is what I share with my other friends, Catholics and you name it. I tell them, you know, I cannot submit to a pope or a bishop or a cardinal. Why? Because Christ is my sufficiency. You know, I don't have to insult them. But I can share the hope that is within me, why I am a Seventh-day Adventist, and I cannot, I cannot dilute or downplay, you know, the message that God has given us. It's powerful. By the way, you ought to know, if you go anywhere, you say you are a Seventh-day Adventist, the word Seventh-day Adventist is already a rebuke to people without even you saying anything. Think about it. Right? So you don't need to insult people, but rather share with dignity, with respect. You know? Now, interestingly, the Lamb is qualified. What, what did Christ accomplish? Victory. Right? He has purchased for God, and this is said in, in chapter 5, with your blood, people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, 
You have made us into a kingdom and priest to our God. Do you really know who you are? You see, in this chaotic world, God has established you as kings and priests. That's your dignity. Allow me to say this. You have no right to underestimate yourself. Sometimes I cannot understand to hear of an Adventist always inferiority complex. What is that? Or superiority complex. What is that? Everything we have to God's glory. No, nobody is above you. That's one of the principles of the, of the Reformation. Why is that so? Well, because of this. He has made us. Well, by the way, chapter 1. He loves us and gave himself for us. Loves is in the present tense. <laughs> it is a constant state. Never, never let people have power over you to determine or define who you are. Who you are is infinite dignity. Kings before God. And priests, meaning you have access to God. Remember my first presentation was about having direct access to God. That is the new covenant. All other religions are about mediations. And even Christian denominations, mediations. You, God say, direct access. Priest. That's why we talk about priesthood of all believers, precisely. Now, and then, of course, <laughs> they will reign upon the earth. This is beautiful. You know, I mean, really, this is the deep reason why I can go anywhere, walk anywhere, be before anyone without any sense of inferiority or you name it. Please know who you are. When you say you are redeemed, that means that Christ values you as if you were the only person on planet Earth. If this is not clear, then you're going to leave your mood to people's appreciation. One day, someone is going to come, oh, you are wonderful. Tomorrow, another person will come, oh, wow, this is terrible. So what are, what are you going to do? Let people define how you should feel? No, you're free. These are concrete things that we, you know, that we should embrace and live free Christian life. And maybe this will attract other people to say, oh, well, I want to find freedom in Christ Jesus. Now, okay. Remember John was weeping? <laughs> and then once the, uh, the lamb was shown as victorious, oh my goodness, uh, Okay, let me just stop that part because then I will not give you time to ask, to answer, ask any question. Uh, let me just stop it here and then everything is, is changed because Christ is victor. Worship is possible. We can sing. <laughs> you know, I mean, even in this world, you know, our prayers are heard because of the victory of Christ. We have been elevated to unprecedented dignity because of the victory of Christ. So please, yes, let me just conclude here. We, will, we live in a world of evil, but evil cannot have the last word, word. We cannot be defeated because the one who is with us is stronger than the evil one and the evil spirits that he inspires to mess up this world. God is love. God is love, but he created human beings with freedom. However, the enemy wants to subjugate this planet. That's why Christ came to deliver us. The one who is worthy was found, and he came to bring us freedom. That is why I'm a Christian Seventh-day Adventist. I will stop. My apology. I wanted to give you at least 20 minutes to ask questions and interact, but... We, we have now about five minutes. Is that okay? And five literal, not prophetic minutes. So let's... Um, <laughs> so, okay. Any comment? Uh, uh, yes, please. So, so you said the 
on uh, Revelation 19. Yes, you have two interpretations of the first horse. Some, you know, insist that this is uh, Christ who, uh, who is actually commissioning basically his church to preach the gospel. It is like the gospel conquering. But the gospel conquering where? In the world of evil. Right? So that is one interpretation. The others are saying, no, this is uh, also part of the evil, the war. So, you know, I, I will not die for either interpretation. But the truth, though, is when you look at the, the rest of the seals, no question that it's about the evil of the world. So either the first one is Christ or, and I know, you know, and there are statements that one can uh, draw from Ellen White writings and so on that could go either way. But again, yes, it could be the gospel sent to conquer in the world of evil, no problem. Any other question? It was so clear that you don't need to. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. The response to the existentialists mm -hmm. who are basing their worldview just on what they see. Yes. What, how would you, what is the, uh, say, no, the Bible, and they say, oh, Asian worldview. So well, how, how do you. Now, I, first of all, I go with the premise that God has put in every heart the thought of eternity. Even those that seem to dismiss, you know? However, I will engage these people in the realm of values. And this can be almost like, okay, you see, if God is out of the picture, what is justice? What is peace? What are rights? If there is no uh, ethical ground or measure or morality, then how do we justify even taking care of our children? On what basis? How would we justify? Natural law? Hmm. So then, but nature is mixed. You have horrible things and you have good things. So if there is no ultimate reference for good, which is God, then nothing makes sense. And if nothing makes sense, then why would these people have a family why would they try to help people and do good? What is the basis of that? See, it's, it is a dead end. Even judging the world, bad. Yeah, what is bad? No. So there must be a reference. And this is why we Adventists talk about the Ten Commandments as God's direction or compass about how to evaluate good and bad. What's right and what's wrong. If it is blurred or nothing is right or wrong, we can just, you know, subjectively choose whatever, then uh, what does it mean? Chaos. Why do we seek order in society then? Government and all those things. Because at, at the end, chaos. This is, uh, you know, even the uh, anarchist uh, tried to go that route, but it is untenable. And society, you know, doesn't allow it. So hope and the vindication of God's character is the best route for our world and for our future. All right? I think it's exactly 5.15. I am perfect <laughs> in, the, you know, in finishing right on time. That is, you see, it is qualified now. But thank you very much for coming. I hope... This has been useful to you and giving you renewed confidence in God. God will fix it. That's why he revealed his word, not just to threaten people this is going to happen because that's masochistic and whatever. Uh, he is warning us in order to save us. You know, so that is extremely important. Thank you very much. And it has been a privilege to spend this for those who have been here most of the uh, six seminars. It has been a privilege. I am returning even this evening. So may God bless you in this coming year. And my deep prayer is may Jesus come. Because really that would be the advent of freedom, justice, of fellowship and everlasting friendship with God. Thank you very much.
This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.